high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Justin Higginbottom. This is your news for Friday, December 16th. In 2020, a horrible accident occurred in Arches National Park. One woman was left dead, a husband and family left grieving. And at the heart of a trial related to that incident, it's not so much about that death, but about the life that was lost. We report here on that life. Moab was windy on June 13th in 2020. A lot of small but ill-fated circumstances would lead to Esther Nakajigo's death, but first there was the wind. Her friends and family called her Essie, and she was newly married. She and her husband were both new to the country. Essie was from Uganda. She had come to Boulder, Colorado to attend the Watson Institute. Her husband, Ludovic Michaud, is from France. He's a software engineer and was working in Denver when he matched with Essie on a dating app. You know, immediately attracted to, uh, you know, a sense of humor, a brilliance. She was super smart and I, I understood that very quickly. I, I immediately loved her right away, yeah. They explored the West together, camping and hiking, although at first Essie needed some convincing. She was like, why are you guys sleeping on the ground? Like normally it's for four people in Uganda would sleep on the ground, but why would you play at sleeping on the ground camping? And, uh, and then she tried it and I was like, oh, that's so much fun. And <laughs> After they married, Essie became obsessed with having twins. Michaud didn't know why, but soon he wanted them too. That summer, they were closing on a condo where they could raise their future children. You know, we were building, you know, something together, brick by brick. Their courtship was during COVID. The national parks were closed for a time during the pandemic, their gates locked. But when arches reopened, like record numbers in the country, Essie and Michaud hit the road to visit. And a ranger opened those big metal traffic gates for people like them. But this one gate near the visitor center had two swinging sides, and there was only one padlock. So the ranger chose a side to secure to a post. The other was left to swing in the wind. She was so excited. We were counting the, like he was planning a few weeks before, and we were just counting the days and the weeks until we would do that trip. And she was so excited uh, to see, you know, the national parks in around Moab. After hiking in arches, Essie and Michaud were driving that road in front of the visitor center when all these small occurrences collided. The wind, that particular side of the gate being unlocked, the fact that it opened against traffic, which it shouldn't have done. A gust blew the gate open just as their car passed. The metal bar smashed through the passenger side where Essie was sitting. It's brutal, but there's few other ways to say it. The gate decapitated her. It happened on the one-year anniversary of the couple meeting. Essie was 25. The federal government admitted fault, and last week a wrongful death trial began to determine how much the state will pay Essie's family. Her lawyers are asking for $140 million. It's not your average wrongful death case, because Essie wasn't your average woman. Welcome to Africa's best high school reality TV show, The Saving Innocence Challenge. Among a lot of things, she was a reality TV star in Uganda. Not like the Kardashians, kind of the opposite. Her show Saving Innocence was about urban Ugandan youths visiting poor rural high schools. It documented what those two classes could learn from each other. When she was 17, she used her college tuition money to create a community health center. She was named Uganda's ambassador for women and girls, and she went to Brussels as one of only 16 to participate in the 2018 European Development Days. Young leaders here, like Esther, will decide the future. This is Africa. 
and these are Europe's partners in Africa. And the European Union is here today and it's a strong pillar for us, the youth of Uganda, you know, to let us flourish and blossom. That Watson Institute program she was in Colorado for is an accelerator for leaders around the world. She raised millions for at-risk women in Uganda. She won more awards than I'll list. At the trial, even her husband was taken aback by all her accomplishments in her short life. Yeah, very surprised of how impressive everything was. I already knew, but uh, I didn't imagine it was like this, this incredible. Essie grew up in the slums of Kampala in Uganda. Her mother, Christine Namagambe, says it was that experience that made her daughter focus on fighting for the disenfranchised. That's her mother, who flew to Utah with Essie's brother for the trial. She explains that Essie saw a lot of inequality in Uganda as a child. Her father was abusive, and her mother gave birth to Essie when she was only 16. When Essie was invited to the U.S., her mother was beyond proud. Essie told her not to worry, that she's come this far, and from now on, everything will be fine. Essie's brother, John Sakindu, remembers his sister as someone who defended others, even as a child, like the time he was in trouble at school and threatened with lashes. So Essie came out of the blue like, if any punishment is to be given to him, I will take it for him. And the punishment was five strokes of a cane. Like, she took it and I went home when, without any cane. Essie was paying for her brother's university tuition. He hoped to join her in her work after graduation. I was looking forward to becoming great with her, like, as a person. Since her death, Sakindu has had to drop out. Essie also supported her mother, and she would pour a lot of the money she made from her TV show back into her charities. But in a twist of Utah law, Essie's giving could discount her family's wrongful death claim. The judge will be awarding money based off of their grief and loss, but also her expected income, what she would have earned in her life. The government is arguing that it isn't as much as her lawyers claim because she would have given much of it away. It's a little disconcerting to hear the government make that argument that the judge should somehow discount her because the money she went out and earned, she might give to do good, um, and therefore her her earning capacity should be discounted in terms of what she would contribute to the family. That's Zoe Littlepage, a lawyer for the family. Every day in Uganda, this trial was on the news, and the whole country of Uganda is watching America to see if America will value their, they called her the Princess of Kampala, if they will, America will value her, their princess. Little Page says that Essie's family expects justice in the U.S. They look up to this country as somewhere where that's possible. You know, and they're really putting their faith in the American justice system that she won't get discounted because she's African or she won't get discounted because she's young, but that American justice will value her the way they do. No matter what the judge decides as an appropriate value for Essie's life, her husband will still be struggling. I'm committed to getting better, but it's a full-time job, I would say. You know, I had PTSD, so which means for the first weeks or months, I had like hundreds of flashbacks in loop. Like you see the scene like a hundred times in loop for like or more. Nowadays, Michaud can be doing all right just to have something remind him of that day putting him back in the car with his dead wife. Like the other day, I, I saw like 
I, I think there was some roadwork or something, and I, I saw like a big white bag on the floor. And I, in my head, it was a body bag, and uh, it was just like put back into into the, the, the scene in Archie's. Many things had to go wrong to lead to Essie's death, but her short and impressive life was similar in a way. Because she grew up in poverty, to a child mother witnessing abuse and inequality, she was dedicated to helping others, and she became great because of that. Now it's her family's turn to try to find some strength from the tragedy of her death. My name uh, is Esther Nakajigo, the Uganda's ambassador for women and girls. I am a very happy person. I love life, and I'm so grateful to God for all the opportunities he has given me Esther means star and also in the Bible Esther was a queen a selfless queen who was to die for other for the other people and I think I'm trying to wave the flag for that Moab City Council was in session this week, so... What happened at the what meeting? What happened at the meeting? What happened at the meeting? Whatever happened at the meeting? What exactly happened at the meeting? Maggie McGuire, editor of the Moab Sun News, answers. This week at the Moab City Council meeting, elected officials approved the purchase of a duplex to offer transitional housing to new city employees. Staff said that the housing would help attract better candidates for open positions. City Council members also approved an increase in funding for a state lobbyist. The new budget allows up to $70,000 a year for advocacy at the state capitol in anticipation of what City Manager Carla Castle expected to be a hostile 2023 legislative session. And that's what happened at the meeting. This exercise in civics is a collaboration between KZMU News and the Moab Sun News. Find recaps of local government meetings at moabsunnews.com. You can also watch these meetings on YouTube. Find Moab City Council there. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. Some Moab community members are experiencing sticker shock. Adhesive stickers plastered on downtown street signs are becoming more political. Sophia Fisher of the Times Independent speaks with Molly Marcello about the issue. Well, stickers in Moab are nothing new. I'm sure, you know, anyone who's walked around downtown has seen them papered over light poles and and trash cans and things. Um, But there's definitely a new breed of stickers that's kind of taking over not only downtown, but the Moab Valley as a whole and being placed on road signs and specifically frequently stop signs. Okay, so there's a series of photographs on the front page of the Times Independent. And one of them, you know, has a city sign that says no skateboarding or rollerblades, but under the skateboarding, somebody has placed a sticker that says no noise pollution. Mm. So they've modified it. Yeah, and and um, I'm sure folks have seen the the sticker saying noise pollution put underneath the word stop on stop signs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been more that I found, and 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 all these stickers are decrying some combination of of noise pollution and off highway vehicles, which is, of course has 
anyone living under a rock, it's been a really important issue around here and very divisive in the community um, for, for quite a while. Um, so I, I spoke with folks at the city and the county and the Utah Department of Transportation because they manage um, signage and road mm-hmm. infrastructure along Main Street, Highway 191. And folks at the county have said that these stickers are getting worse. And I've heard from folks on, at the city that, you know, when they remove them, they're frequently back up within a mm-hmm. week. And mm-hmm. um, that some of them have been put on with hot glue. So not kind of like your typical wow. sticker. Someone or some people who are very intentionally putting these stickers up and, and reapplying them. Certainly more premeditated, yeah. Um, of course, the public officials urged anyone responsible to stop doing this. It is vandalizing public property and could become a safety, a public safety issue if signs become unreadable or, or get so distracting for uh, drivers that they're not reading them. And then as you were walking around town, you know, was it easy for you to find these stickers? Yeah. I mean, they're not on every single sign downtown. Uh-huh. Um, but once I got to Main Street, especially, it was like, oh, like over there and over there and over here and all <laughs> right. sorts of different ones. So it was definitely uh-huh. Opening. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, more on that issue in the Times Independent this week. And where do you want to take us next? Bear Pursuits. Yeah, my editor Doug wrote a great story about how um, the Grand County Commission is hoping to help influence um, state regulations around bear pursuits. Mm. Uh, actually, Utah is one of only nine states in which bear pursuits are legal. Mm. And that causes a lot of um, out-of-staters to come in and pursue bears. And actually, that caused a 2018 incident that also spurred Grand County to kind of get involved in this. Um, During that incident, a Florida man, William Tyler Wood, uh, pursued a bear with about 16 hounds in the LaSalle Mountains, um, harassing the bear, who was clearly exhausted. I mean, Mm -hmm. the video of this is is really upsetting. Um, Mm -hmm. And then actually contained the bear, I think, in like a a dog cage for a while, which Mm -hmm. is definitely was illegal for him. Uh, Wood went to trial last year in 2021, Mm -hmm. and he was acquitted of a felony but was found guilty of two misdemeanors. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of the reason he may have been acquitted is because state regulation around what's lawful in a bear pursuit could be further clarified, you know, Mm -hmm. um, certain Mm -hmm. terms and things like that. So that's what Grand County is trying to make happen at the state level. So they want some more clarification. So something like this doesn't actually happen. Yeah. Harden and, and clarify and specify some terms that are used. Um, also add more specific language about repeated bear pursuits that could like tire out, you know, Mm -hmm. one bear, which is, um, could be seen as, you know, unsportsmanlike or unfair. Okay. So the DWR, the Division of Wildlife Resources might be changing these rules. Is there a timeline for that? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, the letter was sent out partially in response to the Div- uh, Division of Wildlife Resources Black Bear Management Plan and 2023 recommendations because those things don't mention rules pertaining to pursuit. Mm-hmm. Um, but Doug uh, did speak to somebody at the DWR and they said that they are certainly um, looking into clarifying regulations around bear pursuit. So hopefully we might see this maybe next year, I'd figure, in the 2024 recommendations. Um, hard, hard to tell sometimes with state government. Yeah. There's one more story I'm hoping you can um, touch on in the Times Independent. It's about some artwork and a a local student. So what's up with this? Yeah, um, a student at HMK Elementary, their artwork is going to be the only one from a Utah student to adorn the Utah tree on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. Wow. Okay, so who is the student? What is this piece of art? Yeah, student uh, Brinley Dooley, um, who is a third grader, created a beautiful watercolor of the Green River Overlook at Canyonlands National Park. 
how did this artwork come to be? Yeah, students at HMK Elementary participated in a Look Where We Live landscape project um, where third and fourth graders went on field trips to Arches National Park and Canyonlands National Park um, to have art lessons, which also integrated things like social studies and natural science, language art, mm -hmm. um, and kind of regular art, of course, which is a really cool benefit of, of being a student in this area. Sophia Fisher, staff writer at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. The glamping company Under Canvas is expanding in the Moab area. They're almost ready to open their new resort near Looking Glass Arch. And they've recently leased another parcel of land from the State Trust Lands Administration, this time in Castle Valley. Allison Hartford of the Moab Sun News speaks with Molly Marcello about their coverage. Under Canvas is a glamping company that has 11 locations near national parks around the country. And so glamping refers to this like very glorious camping. Um, so you're staying in yurts and you have running water um, and stuff like that. And so they have a location in Moab already and they're about to open a 12th location near Looking Glass Rock in San Juan County under a new brand name that's U-L-U-M, um, which I'm assuming is called Ulum. Ulum, Yes. Okay. That's a, that's a guess on our part, right. but we're going to go with Ulam. Okay. <laughs> so in 2021, Under Canvas signed this agreement with Sitla to lease this land near Looking Glass Rock. And so um, when that happened, this kind of exploded into these big community protests um, because the resort will be within the side of the rock. The Sitla land parcel kind of touches a piece of the rock and so people mm. were really worried that like people who were staying there were going to go and try to climb up the rock and that basically it would bring all this new tourism to Looking Glass Rock. And so both Sitla and Under Canvas have said that they want to keep conservation in mind and that they don't want to flood looking glass rock. But people who were mm. signing this petition were like basically saying that the land is so desirable because of looking glass rock. Mm. So this huge petition came out. It got over 2,800 signatures, um, but that didn't stop the development from going forward. And now that location is going to open in March 2023. So it'll be on 200 acres with 50 furnished yurt-style tent sites. Um, it's accessed by a road that forks off from the access road to Looking Glass Rock. Mm. And each tent is really fancy. There'll be a wood-burning stove, electricity, shower, and a flushing toilet. But then also sites at this location near Looking Glass are listed at $549 to $599 a night. Very competitive with traditional hotels. Yeah, definitely. And this site offers like different features. Like they said, they're going to build a yoga deck, um, hot and cool dipping pools. And then there will also be activities like yoga or hiking. Even despite the the protests and the petitions and the Moabs and News has covered that extensively, mm -hmm. um, this project has kind of kept trekking along and right. does plan to open in March. Yes. Under Canvas has also recently um, put in an application to lease another Sitla parcel of land um, near Castle Valley. And so details on that are still um, kind of unclear. But again, people in the community are worried about kind of the same thing mm -hmm. as the Looking Glass Rock location. Mm -hmm. But Under Canvas has told us um, multiple times that they plan to have a quote minimal footprint on the land and they have also said that they're trying to like make the land better. 
Thank you for that coverage, Allie. Mm -hmm. And where do you want to take us next? Next, um, we can go to the city council meeting, which was on Tuesday, December 13th. All right. So there were a couple things that happened at that meeting. One, the purchase of a duplex. Yeah. So um, according to the city of Moab, the availability of housing is a really major hurdle for recruiting employees. So during this meeting, city manager Carly Castle said that there have been multiple times when they've hired someone and then that person couldn't find housing and decided not to come to Moab or a current employee has lost their housing and had to leave. Mm. And so the city's been looking into... um, Um, for a while trying to purchase a property that would allow city employees to have like an immediate housing solution Mm -hmm. and like this would be really temporary and so the idea is to provide somewhere where people could stay for a few months while they're looking for a new place and then move to that new place permanently. During the meeting, the council decided to purchase a duplex, which is located along 200 South. And there are two units in this home, and the city's going to purchase it. So they also have a property that they're leasing in Spanish Valley that they use for um, employee housing. But yeah, so this one they bought. So each unit will only be rented to one family, like one tenant or one couple or family with children Mm -hmm. um, each. So this isn't like they're not going to pack every room full. It's more like you rent it by the unit and they already have employees who are ready to move in yeah and you know it's meant to be transitional housing is that right right so not permanent right so the tenants will sign for six month terms and that's flexible like if somebody finds somewhere to live after a month then they can just move out or Mm -hmm. if they need a little bit more time then the city will extend that lease and in addition to that housing purchase um there was another item of note um at the city council meeting this week too also at the city council meeting, the council was discussing the fiscal year 2022 to 2023 budget. And this budget change included an increase of funds dedicated to paying a lobbyist to work with the state legislature. Mm. Um, so two years ago, the city was paying 40000 per year for lobbyists, and the new budget allows for a salary of 50000 to 70000 per year. What was the reasoning for this increase? Yeah, so um, city manager Carly Castle said that she expects it to be a pretty vicious legislative session. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said the city is facing the barrel of some really devastating changes if they don't try to negotiate different outcomes. That is strong yeah. language. Yes. So she said she's really worried about three arenas being impacted, which are land use, OHV noise regulations, and the active employee housing ordinance. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and the last two have we've been covering them a lot recently mm-hmm. because the state legislature has been directly trying to fight the noise regulations that Moab has in place and also the active employee housing ordinance. Mm-hmm. Um And so people will remember that in 2021, Grand County updated its business licensing to include these noise regulations for ATV businesses. And then in 2022, during the general session, the state passed a law making many of those new amendments illegal. Mm. Um, So now the city and the county are facing a lawsuit. In September, the UTV advocacy nonprofit Blue Ribbon Coalition and 11 Moab businesses moved forward with a formal lawsuit challenging those noise ordinances, and they claimed a million dollars in damages because of them. And then also, the city's active employee housing ordinance faced really significant pushback from the state legislature. And so this ordinance will require new developments to set aside a percentage of units for the local workforce. 
And this ordinance passed in August, but that followed months of deliberation Mm -hmm. and numerous threats of lawsuits from members of the state legislature Mm -hmm. who argued that the ordinance would impact property rights. Right. And the city spent, like you said, months and months and months, you know, negotiating with private property rights groups, realtors and others like um, stakeholders who they knew were going to have a problem or, you know, found out had a problem Mm -hmm. and ended up with a compromise ordinance pretty much. Yeah. These are the things that um, our city manager is saying could be under threat next legislative session. Yeah, definitely. So, The mayor, Joette Langanese, said she expects to be more involved in the state legislature this calendar year. And she said um, she finds the lobbyist connection really important. And other council members did um, agree to pass this new budget. But Ronnie Durassery, who's another council member, pushed back on the increase, saying that within Utah, it's hard to make progress. And Mm -hmm. so she essentially was saying... She didn't see the benefit of paying more for a lobbyist if their efforts won't work anyway. Mm-hmm. It's a hard one, right? Ronnie was really the only council member who felt really strongly about this. So she voted against the um, budget amendment with this new lobbying contract and said that she thought she would be misleading people if she thought an increased lobbying contract was a good investment. And she said that's because of what she's seen from the bullying that goes on at the legislature and the bad mouthing of her county. All right. So she's kind of, you know, been on the council a while she's over it you know or over (laughs) this attitude that is coming from um the state level but it sounds like the city is moving forward with uh this lobbyist contract yes so we'll see what happens all right um and finally ali you got to talk to another artist in our community in this week's edition of the mobs and news yeah so the community artist in the parks program Um, It's a very familiar program to people in Moab. It basically allows local artists to spend April to October creating art in the Southeast Utah group of national parks, which includes Arches, Canyonlands, and the Hovenweep and Natural Bridges National Monuments. Mm -hmm. And so every year there's a new artist and artists are picked in December. So the 2023 community artist is going to be Jess Hugh, who is an illustrator and printmaker. So before we started recording, you told me a very fun fact about Jess. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you share that with listeners? Yeah, Jess is an artist, but she also has a career in construction. And so when she was getting into printmaking, um, she really fell in love with this style of printmaking called intaglio. In intaglio printing, the image area is below the flat surface of the printing plate. So that means that instead of relief printing, where ink is applied to the raised portion of like a wood block or a piece of rubber, ink is instead applied to an etched piece of metal or plastic. Huh. Um, so the ink will sink into that recess uh-huh. and then the paper is pressed over it. Oh. And so this requires a huge amount of pressure. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to replicate mm-hmm. at home mm-hmm. um, without this very specialized and very expensive printing press. Mm-hmm. And so Jess was looking online to see what options she had because she really liked this style of printmaking mm-hmm. and, you know, she wanted to pursue it but what she was finding was like a lot of articles like how to make a two thousand dollar printing press for only five hundred dollars which was still too much money and on the other end of the spectrum it was like well you could try standing on a rolling pin Mm. um and so she designed and built her own printing press just like completely from scratch completely Uh from her own Uh um blueprints and now that's what she uses to make her prints so is she going to be you know using her homemade printing press as part of her art at the parks too yes what she'll be doing at the parks is a couple different processes and Mm -hmm. so um she's been experimenting with making her own paper 
In doing so, she incorporates local clay into it, which I didn't even know was possible, but I guess the world of paper making is huge. (laughs) So she makes her own paper and then she'll also sketch a drawing, um, transfer it onto a plastic plate Mm -hmm. and then print it onto the handmade paper. Um, And so when she's at the park, she'll be, you know, spending some days like sketching Mm -hmm. and walking around field locations. And then also she plans to bring her printing press out to the visitor center. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. I feel like you do a lot of interviews with artists and they always Mm -hmm. have like such interesting, unique stuff going on. Yeah, definitely. It's very cool that the air park can continue to highlight these these very interesting locals. Right. I think it's amazing. Like Mm -hmm. in 2023, we'll have this illustrator and printmaker. Mm -hmm. And then last year was Sam Metzner, who Mm -hmm. is this photographer and painter. And Julia Buckwalter was the year before that, Mm -hmm. who is a very like traditional painter Mm -hmm. on the big canvases. So it's really fun to see especially what Jess is going to do with the parks because her illustration and print works really depict like this whimsy Mm. and so they're all black and white she doesn't use any color Mm -hmm. um but that means that they're very detailed and in the past she's drawn like these fantasy worlds with these detailed mountain peaks and fantasy ruins and so I'm really excited to see how she portrays the national parks Allison Hartford, staff reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find links to those stories in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.